Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and today in this hour, we're going to touch on a challenging, difficult, sad topic, And but we are going to uh, go after it with understanding God's um, design for creation, and I'm going to do that uh, with uh, Dr. Uh, Fazel Rana, goes by Fuzz Rana, and he is the CEO and Senior Scholar of Reasons at Reasons to Believe. We're going to talk about human trafficking. And I know this has grown exponentially lately in the world, and there's uh, a lot of pain and suffering and a lot of uh, children especially who are very vulnerable, and it's a, a very sad, difficult topic. But we're going we're gonna to talk about it today very candidly and openly, and I, I don't know if anything we're going to discuss today is going to be sensitive to young ears, but I just want to give you a heads up. Uh, Fuzz, nice to have you back on the show. How are you? I'm doing fine, Bill. Thanks for having me. It's a... Uh... It was enjoyable the last time uh, to hang out with you, and I appreciate the invitation to be back. Yeah, well, I, I was just previewing the hour at the end of the last hour, and I was saying that you were going to be joining me. And we, so we grew up in the Midwest, where we were really used to Scandinavian and Norwegian names. So it's you know Bob <laughs> Johnson and Tim Olson. So I have to figure out when I say Fazrana or Fazel Rana that I, it's not a name I say all the time. Um, so I always have to make sure I'm saying it correctly. And I think I got it correctly, didn't I? Yeah, you did. Okay. So, thanks for asking. Yeah. And then, and then tell me a little bit about your uh, heritage and where you came from and uh, your family. Yeah, yeah well, um, uh, my father was from India. He okay. He was born in India. He, he was uh, from a Muslim background. I think we talked about that the last time I was on. And my mom's family is of a German heritage, so... She actually grew up in North Dakota, so okay. there in the Midwest. And believe it or not, I was born in Ames, Iowa, and uh, grew up uh, in in West Virginia. So have a little bit of the the Midwest roots in me. I nice, guess. nice. So when did you get uh, Fuzz as a nickname? Uh, my mom gave that to me as a nickname when I was a little kid, and it stuck since then. So, so was that a nickname you would be called at school? Oh yeah, yeah. And okay. I heard. Uh, Fuzzy Wuzzy was a bear. Quite a bit. <laughs> I figured. I figured there would be a little bit of play with that. So I, uh, I, <laughs> yeah. hope, I hope you didn't get uh, too bullied over that one. No, no. Yeah, uh, you know, you, I, you, you learn to take it and you learn to dish it out. I, guess. <laughs> I love that. It develops a little resilience in a person, doesn't it? it? Helps build their character. Makes them resilient. It does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. I love that. So anyway, our topic today is a difficult one, and I know you recently took a trip to Cambodia, and I'd love to find out what that uh, revealed to you. Yeah, well, you know, if there's a, a, a key point that we would, I would want your listeners to walk away from today, it would be this point, that ideas really matter and ideas really have consequences, you know, and um, that really is very much the case when it comes to child uh, sex trafficking mm-hmm. and really in a broader sense, when we think about all the social ills and social injustices in the world that we live in, um, you know, that ultimately ideas really matter and they really create a, 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 a framework in which 
evil can actually uh, exist and even be tolerated. And, you know, uh, one of the things about Cambodia, which is just horrifying, is that child sex trafficking is uh, a prominent industry in, in Cambodia, countries like Thailand, like India. And uh, in Cambodia, it's uh, particularly bad. My wife and I were part of a small team that traveled uh, to to uh, a small community outside of Phnom Penh named Sway Pak. And um, we were there in support working with another organization called Agape International Missions or AIM. And uh, they're on the ground battling child sex trafficking. But this little community of Sway Pak, which when you go into the community, it's literally dirt streets. Uh, there's no, no paved streets in the, in the community. It's a small, small community. It, it is internationally known as a destination for child sex tourism, mm. where oh. people will literally travel from all over the world uh, to go to that small community with horrific and evil intentions. And, you know, one of the questions that we asked continually while we were there is how is something like this possible? Because this child sex trafficking wasn't done in the dark, in the hidden recesses. It was out there in the open. Everybody knew what was going on and the community tolerated, tolerated that level of, of exploitation. And, you know, the best that we could walk away from is that ideas ultimately matter, right? That, that you, you, part of it is that Cambodia is poverty riven, you know, poverty ridden, it is you know, a corrupt government there in Cambodia that looks the other way. Uh, there is kind of the after effects still of the abuse of the Khmer Rouge. But, you know, there are cultural ideas that influence and create a, a framework where child sex trafficking is, is tolerated. But part of it is the religious system. The religious system in Thailand, or sorry, check that in Cambodia, is Buddhism uh, and it's a Buddhism that embraces the idea of reincarnation. And so in that framework, the, the view is that, you know, uh, if you're suffering, if bad things are happening to you, you just need to readjust your expectations that your dis dissatisfaction in the suffering you experience is because your, your expectations don't match reality. And when you do that, that suffering disappears. But also, when you factor in reincarnation, you know, it's the idea that, hey, you know, you're, you, you come back in the next life, and the quality of your life is, depends upon what you did in the previous life. And so if you come back into the world and you are suffering, it's because you did something in the, in the previous life. You, you deserve that. And so if you are a young girl that is born into a poor family in Cambodia and you are being exploited by your family in the community for a profit, it's because you, you deserve that, that this is something that is a consequence of what you did in a previous life. And to interrupt that suffering, uh, to put an end to that suffering, is considered to be a bad thing because you're disrupting their ability, that person's ability to pay off their karmic debt. And so when you look at that cocktail of ideas, you know, it creates a framework where something like child sex trafficking now is possible, now makes sense uh, to some degree, now, now can be tolerated. Uh, and, and so um, ideas matter, and they, they matter a lot. 
you know, you said something, Foz, that I, 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 it just made my spine shiver. You said if a, a young girl is being sex trafficked and exploited by her family, oh my goodness, the family should be the place of safety and security, not the place of exploitation. Just made, yeah. just make me sick. Yes, it, it is. It is disgusting because in that culture, boys are highly prized and girls are not. Uh, and, and so, uh, and so as a result of that, you know, if a family has young girls, they oftentimes are used in that way. And in fact, uh, AIM discovered that when they would rescue girls from a brothel, uh, that they couldn't return them to their families many times because the families would just turn around and sell them. Or if a young girl escapes from a brothel, many times the police would recover her and return her to the brothel, right? So uh, it's, it's, you know, part of it is, again, corruption, part of it is the culture, but, but ideas, ideas really matter. And, you know, to me, what was so powerful is that when, you know, AIM would rescue girls, they would go through a process of, of restoration. And a very critical part of that process was to communicate to them that they are made in God's image. And because of that, they have infinite worth and value. Uh, and, and, and that they are, that there is a sacredness to who they are because they are image bearers and that, that, that Jesus, that God took on the form of a human and died so that they could be, uh, re- rescued, that they could be redeemed. Uh, and, and so that, 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 that the evil that they experienced could be overcome and that they could be in a right relationship with their creator. And that's a, that's a very powerful message that we saw have a, a, a transformative effect, not only on the lives of those girls, but on the community of Sway Pak as well. So when you were there, Fuzz, and I can imagine when you're hearing these stories and you're physically there, uh, you, you must be incredibly um, taken by the, you know, even I'm hearing about these stories and I think I'm not there and I wasn't there, but it just brings up all these emotions in me. I just, I feel full of rage right now listening to what goes on. Yes. Oh, it, it, it the rage was very much part of the, you know, part of the experience, mm-hmm. right? It, rage and an and actual absolute disbelief, you know, it, it, because it's so hard to process that, that this type of, of evil could, could be, could be taking place and be taking place virtually unchecked. And, 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 you know, if there are heroes to this story, it's that the people that work for organizations like AIM that are on the ground day in and day out confronting this kind of evil. I mean, the, 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 the courage that that takes, A, and, and you know, the, the toll that it, that it extracts on people is, is huge, is enormous to be certain. But they're, they're doing it because because they have embraced this this very important idea that human beings have infinite worth and value and that these this evil needs to be confronted you know when you take when you adopt the view that human beings bear god's image right and that that there is a sacredness to each human life that that humans have infinite worth and value you know if you really really take a hold of that message you have no choice i think but to stand up against the evil that exists in the world, that, that no longer is, is injustice tolerable, no longer is, 
you know, exploitation of people or marginalizing people tolerable, you know, you have to step in and do something. Even if it's something small, you still have to step in and do something. And, you know, I, I, to this day, I admire greatly the, the people that, that, you know, have devoted their lives to battle this kind of evil. And, you know, that there is a, 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 you know, a, a silver lining to this story. And that is that over time, you know, AIM was able by working with some of the local authorities to one by one shut down brothels and raise the money to actually purchase those buildings. And they would turn, you know, there was a, a hotel in the center of town that was used to service, you know, the sexual exploitation of children. And they were, they bought it and they turned it into a church. Called <laughs> I, love, Rahab, I love that story. Called Rahab's house that now becomes this Christian outreach center that, that, that brothels, you know, up and down the street, the main street, uh, were again purchased by AIM, and they're turned into employment centers and restoration centers, and in homes, you know, to house the the these girls that they rescued. And suddenly, you see a change in the community where, you know, this idea that that human life matters, uh, that that the darkness in that community is is being replaced by, you know, a source of light. So th- there is a, a silver lining in the sense that AIM made, has, has made and continues to make a huge impact. And that, to me, is so exciting. But nothing can, convinces me more that the, the gospel is true, that Christianity is true and the gospel is true, than to see the transformative power of it, mm-hmm. not only in that, in that community, but in the lives of these girls. Because, you know, the, the, these girls you know, when you know their stories, I, I got a chance to meet a few of them and, the, and how horrific their little lives <laughs> were. Mm-hmm. And, to, and then to see the joy and the happiness and the hope that they have because of embracing the gospel and embracing the idea that they are indeed of infinite worth and value. That is, it's an, an idea could not be that transformative if it wasn't true. Right. Yeah, well, this this is definitely calming me down a little bit because uh, <laughs> the start of this conversation just produced rage in my in my my head. So we'll take a break and be right back. Uh, Dr. Fazrana is my guest. He's not only a biochemist, but he's the CEO and senior scholar at Reasons to Believe. You can learn more about that at reasons.org. Be right back. Start each week with a moment of reflection and prayer with the Faith Radio Prayer Devotional Email. Sign up today at MyFaithRadio.com. back with Dr. Fazrana. He is a biochemist, so he did better in school than probably most of us did, but I'm not going to hold him hold that against him. Um, he's also the president and CEO and senior scholar of Reasons to Believe. And today we're talking about sex trafficking, and this is not an easy topic. And I appreciate uh, 
fuzz of your perspective on this. And I want to go back to how humans are just unique to God's other creations. And let's maybe just talk about that and provide, maybe you can provide some examples for this as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one of the, I think one of the most important ideas that we see in scripture is this idea that human beings are made in God's image. And, you know, the idea that humans bear God's image is only mentioned explicitly in a few places in scripture, particularly in the creation accounts, uh, uh, you know, Genesis 1. And it's implied when you look at, at Genesis 2. Uh, but this idea, I, I think, is an idea that is that permeates all of Scripture. It's because we bear God's image that we're able to enter into a relationship with our Creator, uh, mediated through the person of Christ. Uh, but it, it's also the foundation of Christian ethics, right? You know, and because if if human beings again have are made in God's image, if we image God, then we have infinite worth and value. And the way that you treat another human being according to scripture is the way that you would treat God himself. And this idea of the image of God, you know, to me makes sense if of the Ten Commandments. The first four are the you know commandments that describe how we are to love God. The next six commandments describe how we are to love others. You know, and as Jesus said, the the greatest commandment is to love God with everything that you have, and then to love your neighbor as yourself, where you see, again, that the, the Ten Commandments and this idea of God's image playing a, 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 an important role. Or if you read the prophets, you see you know, that, that Israel or Judah would be condemned uh, for idolatry, but also they would be condemned for how they would treat the poor, where that the condemnation of the abuse of the poor was put on par with the the sin of idolatry. And it makes sense if you think that, again, if human beings are made in God's image, how you treat another human being, again, is equivalent to how you are are treating God. And so it's a very powerful idea that, again, is is the foundation of of Christian ethics. Uh, And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, if you think through the implications of this idea, it really makes injustice in the world intolerable. It makes the exploitation of another human being intolerable. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, we also live in a world where this idea that human beings are made in God's image is an idea that has been under assault mm-hmm. for the last 100, 150 years yeah. or so. You know, because of the evolutionary paradigm and the idea uh, of human evolution, you know, where the the notion is, is that we aren't, you know, image bearers, but we are the the product of an evolutionary history. And, you know, this is may feel unfair to some people, some people and and may feel controversial. But I think uh, at the foundation of much of the social ills that we see in our world today, uh, particularly in the West, uh, at, the, at the foundation of that is this idea that human beings are the product of evolution. Because if we're the product of evolution, then, then you know, we are, and that process is an unguided, undirected process where humans are just a happenstance of an evolutionary process, then we really are no different than any other organism that has ever lived on Earth. Mm-hmm. We're just part of this evolutionary, wet, you know, tree of life, 
we're just a, a minor branch on this tree, an insignificant branch on this tree, we have no fundamental worth. And if this process is a meandering, undirected process, then it means there's no end goal. There's no transcendent end to the evolutionary process. You know, human life ultimately lacks any kind of real meaning or purpose. And so if that if that message begins to sink in to an individual, if it begins to permeate a culture like it has ours, it you, suddenly, you know, the high rates of depression, the high rates of suicide begin to make sense, sadly. Uh, we live in a culture of death, you know, where it's euthanasia, you know, abortion, you know, where I'm so grateful for the Supreme Court decision, but we still live in a culture where abortion is is widely available. Uh, you know, we, we look at things like embryonic stem cell research or other research happening with human embryos, uh, the, the wanton destruction of embryos. Uh, you know, th- th- this is a, a culture of death that, that we are, are living in. And, you know, again, if you think of human beings as the product of evolution, the logical consequence of that is exactly what we see in our world today, right? It's the logical outcome of that idea. And so, you know, I don't think it's the sole contribution to the, the problems that we see in the world. Human sin, <laughs> you know, is is a, is a, a major contributor, but you couple our, our propensity for sin with a worldview that says human beings fundamentally don't have any kind of true meaning or, or, or per, true value or any kind of true purpose or meaning to human existence, that's a devastating message. Boy, is it ever. Nicely stated, too. That was uh, really interesting to listen to. I'd like to hear that all over again. It was so well, it was so well stated. Uh, there is such a lack of meaning f- for many when it comes to life. It's, it's, uh, and if you think that we all emerged out of some primordial soup, we're in a, we're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, you know, and and again, this is going to be controversial, I, and but I think there's merit to this idea. You know, I grew up in West Virginia, and you know, it's a culture where people uh, hunt. And I grew up with friends who, my, my father didn't hunt, and so I didn't. But but I grew up with friends who hunted, and so I can remember coming home from school, and my friends, and this is when we were ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, would take shotguns out into the woods and go hunt squirrels. You know, nobody ever thought about shooting another person. I had friends that would show up at school with shotguns, you know, in their cars because Mm -hmm. they were going to go hunting after school. Nobody ever thought of shooting somebody else at school, right? You know, and so so this whole idea that we see these these mass shootings now, you know, throughout... Our, our culture in schools, in nightclubs, at churches, places of other places of worship, mm-hmm. you know, shopping malls. It's unfathomable to yeah, me. Yeah, it is. Fuzz. Let me take a break, come back. We'll continue this uh, extremely interesting point that you're making about what's going on in our country today. Uh, Dr. Fuzz Rana is my guest. He's president and CEO and senior scholar at Reasons to Believe. That's reasons.org. We'll be right back.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. I'm back with Dr. Fuzz Rana. He is the CEO and senior scholar at Reasons to Believe. He's also a biochemist, and we're talking about human trafficking today. And uh, Fuzz, I'd love to return back to being created in God's image. Uh, frankly, I can't get enough of this conversation when it comes to how significant and important and valued we are as people created in God's image. Yeah, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the, this idea, I think, is is a, a very powerful idea, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, can can have a, a an incredibly positive impact on each individual's live life as they, you know, really contemplate who they are and, you know, does their life even matter and does their life have meaning? And it definitely has a huge impact on our culture today. And, and as I was saying, I think ultimately many of the, the social ills, the injustices that we see in the world really ultimately trace back to the fact that as a, uh, as the wet, as a, the you know the cultures in the West have really lost that that very strong Christian influence as the influence of Christianity begins to wane in our culture and as our culture becomes more secular and more influenced by science, you know this idea of the image of God uh, begins to 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 lose a foot foothold uh, in our culture and the value that each human life has begins to lose. A foothold in our culture, and again, the consequences are are devastating. I think, and we see them all around us. And you know, as we shake our head and 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 just ask, how can the things that we see in our culture happen and and continue to grow worse? I think part of it is we we again have lost the 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 sense that human life ultimately has meaning and purpose and value because the the influence of the Christian faith. Is has has diminished, you know, in the last decade or so. So, Fuzz, how do we be optimistic and hopeful when you when you say this? Because I, I'm not disagreeing, and I'm thinking ahead. How do we regain some hope? Yeah, well, you know, this is where uh, science, you know, is not only causing the problems, but can, may actually be the way forward. Uh, because, you know, it's really the science of human evolution that has done a lot to undermine the idea that human beings are made in God's image. And this goes back to, to Darwin's view that that human beings, as he, he argued in his book, The Descent of Man, like all life on Earth is the product of evolution, and that everything, according to Darwin, that about us that we think makes us special has it's it's antecedents in creatures that precede us in evolutionary history uh, that that we are really only different in degree, not different in kind from other creatures. Uh, this was Darwin's argument, and you, you saw that that viewpoint really shaping the, the the science of human origins over the last 150, 170 years where most evolutionary anthropologists would dismiss the idea that human beings are exceptional in any way, that we are unique in any, any way. Uh, and yet what I'm beginning to see 
is a, a growing minority of evolutionary anthropologists who are, be, who are arguing now that we actually had it wrong, that human beings aren't different in degree from other creatures, that we're not just glorified apes, but we're fundamentally different in kind, that, that there's something about us that causes us to stand apart from all other creatures, uh, including you know, creatures like Neanderthals and, and Homo erectus that we see in the fossil record. Uh, and this to me is a really exciting development. As I engage uh, people that have a background in anthropology, you know, on social media, as I engage them on, you know, on YouTube debates and things like that, I'm hard pressed today to find someone who's an evolutionary anthropologist who would reject the idea uh, of human exceptionalism. Many of them actually would agree with me now that human beings really are exceptional. And, and, and so this is an incredible scientific development. Uh, and, and the struggle that evolutionary biologists have now is how do you explain the, the origin of our exceptional nature? Uh, because there, we really appear to stand apart from all other creatures scientifically. And the, the, the quality that seems to s separate us is our capacity for symbolism. That, that human beings uniquely have this ability to represent the world with symbols, even to represent abstract ideas and concepts with symbols, and then to manipulate those symbols, to combine them and recombine them in, in a near infinite number of ways. And, and this creates a capacity for language, uh, for music, for art, uh, and, and that human beings uniquely possess the, the you know, this quality for symbolism. And the argument is that, that, this, that this makes us exceptional. I, I'm reading a book by a, an evolutionary biologist by the name of Nathan Lentz, uh, and it's called Not So Different, where he's trying to make the argument that human beings are really no different than any other animal, right? That, that animals mourn like we mourn, that animals plan ahead like we plan ahead. You know, and he goes through this long list of things where he's arguing that really we're not that much different than, the, than animals. But then he makes this very interesting statement. He says, the only difference is that as humans, we talk about, our, we talk about these things and we write about these things. And, and, and so even though he's arguing that we really are not that different than the animals, he is forced to acknowledge that there is something that sets us apart and that's our ability to, to, to again, represent the world symbolically. And, and this is, a, this is the, the big difference. And, you know, when it comes to the origin of language, you know, this is a, a huge conundrum for evolutionary biologists because it doesn't look like language evolves. It's not like the, the, the creatures that, that, quote unquote, precede us in the fossil record have a proto-language that then turns into a simple language and then the complex language that we use as, as humans. But rather, it looks like language appears out of nowhere suddenly. And as Noam Chomsky argues, it seems to be just instantiated as, in us as human beings out of nowhere as the, as the full cap capacity. Uh, and, uh, and it's unique to humans. And, and, and that the argument is that even the, that the first language was as complex as, as modern day languages. There wasn't an evolution of language. 
Again, it just shows up out of nowhere all at once. This to me looks like a, a creation event. And, and, you know, in combination with that, what we see with humans is out of nowhere when we appear, suddenly the, the technology that we're using explodes. This is called the sociocultural big bang or the, the human revolution. Where out of nowhere, this incredible capability emerges that is due to our language capacity. And, you know, and it's interesting because a number of anthropologists will, will make note of this, that if we look at Neanderthals, even though the, the common view is that Neanderthals had, had the capacity to make art and, and to make music and, and had language, the fact of the matter is that, that none of those claims actually stand up scientifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Neanderthals were on Earth longer than we have been on Earth. And their technology was stagnant. It didn't change. We show up on Earth, and in a relatively short period of time, we go from relatively prim, you know, primitive technology to putting people on the moon, right? Uh, and and it's like, how could that be? How could that our, techno, our technology explode uh, over a short period of time of our existence? And the, the only explanation is there's something fundamentally different about us as humans, and that fundamental difference is language. And, and so this idea of human exceptionalism is a, a bona fide scientific concept. It's, a, it's, a, it's puzzling to evolutionary biologists. The origin of this capacity shows up out of nowhere. And, uh, and, and, and to me, again, it looks like a creation event. But the descriptors of what makes us exceptional as human beings, to me, are, are scientific descriptors of what I would understand to be the qualities that constitute the image of God. And, and so this idea of human exceptionalism is something that now gives this, you know, this, uh, in, this credibility to this biblical idea that human beings stand apart from all other creatures and that there's something special about us. That, that, that view that we would hold as Christians is actually affirmed uh, by the evidence from, from anthropology and comparative studies with humans and the hominins and humans and, and other primates. So, Fuzz, I'm, I'm fascinated by everything you're saying, and I feel like we have covered this topic really well in terms of humans are unique to God's other creations, and you've done a beautiful job of providing examples about that, and we are clearly created in God's image. Let's try to connect some of these dots back to the our, the start of our conversation, which was about human trafficking and how these people, especially the ones in Cambodia, um, did were never told that they were valued. They had intrinsic worth and value because God created them in this beautiful way. And I want to see if I can't get back to some of the topic about human trafficking. Yeah, well, you know, and, and again, this goes back to the, the, the point that I made, you know, at the beginning of the show is that ideas matter and they matter a whole yes, lot. They do. You know, and 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 so, you know, again, you really have the in at least in, in a country like Cambodia, these these competing ideas. One is that human beings have infinite worth and value, and the other is that that, you know, in that culture, young girls are not valued. Boys are, are, are highly prized. Young girls are not valued. Mm-hmm. They are to be exploited. 
and you have this this philosophical framework or this religious framework that says that you any kind of evil that happens to you is something that you've earned that you deserve because of what you've done in a previous lifetime so these are the the competing ideas and then if you throw in the mix the ideas of of human evolution you know which is a, a third idea that again tends to devalue human life you've got these competing ideas that are are at play and you know of course there's the transformative power of people apprehending the idea that they they may they are made in God's image that 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 the gospel is there for them that it's a reflection of God's infinite love for them as individuals but it's it's another thing to to be able to introduce <laughs> into that conversation that this that the, the the Christian perspective on human nature actually has independent confirmation coming from science that this is not just simply wishful thinking you know because we we you know an idea isn't true just because we like the implications of the idea or an idea isn't necessarily false because we don't like the implications of that idea we need to have independent you know confirmation that the idea has credibility and you know part of it is the transformative power of the idea but also it's again having the scientific evidence that that we can use to make the case that this image of god concept that scripture teaches us has again credibility has legitimacy and you know when i was there in in cambodia i got a chance to interact with a lot of young men and women who were part of the the church rahab's house mm-hmm. and and they were these were students that were in college that were serving in the church and they when they found out that i was a, a scientist they were asking me all kinds of questions about human evolution and so even though you you get this perception that cambodia is this you know poverty stricken backward country the, the these students were learning about these ideas that they saw as a threat to their views as Christians, you know, uh, uh, and so you know this idea is is everywhere. But again, to have the ability to say that the biblical view has scientific credibility uh, is so important because so for for again 150 years, the perspective is that the evolutionary view is the only view that has scientific credibility, but the biblical view is a is is based on faith it's it's a faith commitment it's really not evidenced and we're now able to say wait a minute actually the evidence favors the the christian perspective in the in the idea of the image of god mm-hmm. take a break dr fazrana is my guest you can learn more about him at reasons.org we'll be right back Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Fazrana is my guest. We're talking about human trafficking today. We're also talking about 
talk being created in God's image, and we have uh, not focused on that very much in our society. There has not been a, a reminder that we are uh, created in God's image, and we value life less, don't we, Fuzz? Yes, that's the sad truth of the matter is because that concept has, has lost footing, um, I, I think we have you know, devalued human life with horrific consequences as a result. Yeah, so um, let's, if you don't mind, what, what do you know about the human trafficking that goes on in this country? I mean, we talked about Cambodia and the horror that goes on there. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't even want to talk about the ages of young boys and girls that are trafficked. I know there's a higher percentage of, of, of girls, but there's also boys that get trafficked. And the age range I've heard is, it's, I, can't, I don't even want to repeat it. Yeah, well, um, you know, unlike I, uh, Cambodia, a lot of the, the sex trafficking is, is invisible, typically, uh, to, me, to most of us. And it's surprising to, to realize you know, the, the, the fact that sex trafficking is a very real problem here in the United States. And I don't necessarily have statistics at the, on the, at the top of my head or at my fingertips, uh, but I do know that worldwide, the, the number of people that are trafficked is on the order of tens of millions of people. And some of those people that are trafficked are used for forced labor but a significant proportion are for sexual purposes. But we're on a worldwide basis, about 50% of those people that are trafficked for sexual purposes are children. And I know that in Cambodia, there were children that were as young as eight or nine years old that were being trafficked. Um, mm. and, and so, you know, it, it's out in the open in Cambodia, much more so than here in the U.S., but it's, it's a very real problem. Uh, and, um, you know, I was just reading that uh, this morning that in California, because of, of a, a law that was recently passed about um, police officers not being able to stop women or men that they suspect who are uh, engaged in prostitution, that you now have places in larger cities in, Cal- in like Los Angeles, San Francisco, Oakland, for example, where you now are seeing uh, prostitution out there in full display on on streets, and you know women, you know, partially dressed, doing all kinds of you know lewd things, that the police are 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 unable to stop because of uh, some you know very misguided legislation that was passed, uh, and, and so uh, you know uh, sadly. You know, when you start seeing that kind of behavior on full display, it become it we become desensitized to it. You know, it, it becomes you know we, it becomes normalized, and then we become less cognizant of the fact that that when this behavior is out there in the public, it is a reflection of the fact that people are being trafficked, that people are being exploited. I'm really afraid that we may be going down a path, at least in California, where it won't be that long before prostitution is legalized or um, there are areas of of cities where prostitution is now permitted. When that happens, I think 
you know, we are going to become closer to Cambodia than we like to think in terms of uh, people being exploited for sexual, you know, purposes through, you know, human trafficking. I'm sorry to, to hear that. I mean, that's a horrible, horrible evil if that comes, if that, if it goes that direction. Yeah, you know, I mean, this this idea that that we become, you know, desensitized to the the horrors of, you know, of of evil around us is is a is a very real thing, because you know that's part of the devaluing of human life, is that, you know, things that we tolerate we become used to, we become comfortable with, uh, and 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 so when you you couple that with <laughs> Again, this idea that that people have lost this sense of, of human value and worth, it's it's a it's it's a dangerous trajectory to be on for a society, I think. And but you know, when things are dark, the the light of the gospel is all that much more brighter. And and this should really, I think, motivate all of us who hold to a Christian worldview to be, you know, to be willing to to engage our culture. To be willing to share the gospel, to to be willing to to defend the dignity and the sanctity of human life, and to to stand against injustice, you know, to be that that voice for those people that have lost their voice, to be that you know that that um, the advocate for those that are marginalized, that those who are without power, who are being taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. Well, as I appreciate uh, this discussion, I'm, I'm also, just because I have you on the show, and I know there's a lot of people that would find the story with your father so fascinating, because your father was a Muslim, am I correct? That's right, yes, he was and, a Muslim. And your was your mother a uh, Christian? She was from a Catholic background. Okay. When they, they married, they were she was a non-practicing Catholic. Okay, and you... I'm sure had many conversations with your dad uh, about your faith and how did he tolerate you? Uh, did he reject you? And how did that end? Yeah. Well, you know, when I uh, converted to Christianity, it was a, uh, not a, a good thing for, for my father. And it really, in a sense, damaged our relationship pretty significantly. Uh, you know, and, uh, and so he was deeply wounded that I would con, would reject Islam and would convert to Christianity. And, you know, uh, and, and so he and I, he, when he died, he and I were estranged, but, you know, in, in God's infinite grace and mercy, as my father was dying and I was there at his bedside, he was not able to, he was, he'd lost consciousness by the time that I made it to his bedside. I was, was able to completely forgive my father for any hurt that I had, for any animosity I had towards him. Uh, and I, you know, God just reminded me of, you know, the love that he did show for me, the good things that he did for me. And, and so I was able to, you know, as my father died, to make peace with that because of God's grace and to be grateful for my father's life and for what he did for me. And, you know, I, I w- was able through that experience to fully trust God and to put my father in in God's hands, knowing mm-hmm. that whatever was going to happen to my father, that God was a God who was merciful and a God who was just, and that that I that it was not 
it was not something that I w- was to lament about or to to be overwhelmed with grief. But my father's death also inspired me in a in a uh, to to leave my position in research and development at a, a Fortune 500 company and go into ministry, where you know I felt like the most important thing I could do as a scientist now was to share my faith to try to show people the scientific evidence for the Christian faith with the hope that that no one would die apart from the love of Christ like I believe my father did. So, um, you know, there there was, it was a difficult time, but incredible good, I think, has come out of it, that God indeed will use all things for, for, for good and for his glory. Mm-hmm. Fuzz, I have 20 seconds left or so. Did, did you have siblings um, at all? And was there a division amongst the faith position you had with your siblings? Yeah, I have a, a, one brother and he uh, is an atheist, oh, unfortunately. Boy. So, yeah. yeah. Boy, it, it's uh, there's always a lot of work to do in the family, isn't there? There is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I so appreciate you taking time today and being with us on the program. Uh, not to be specific about uh, medical conditions, but how's our friend Ken Samples doing? He's doing really well. Oh, good. He's, uh, back in the office, he looks really, really good. Oh, good. I'm so glad to hear that. I'm looking forward to having another conversation with him. Fuzz, thank you so much, and have a wonderful evening. Thank you, Bill. You bet. Dr. Fuzz Rana has been my guest. That wraps up our show for the day. Thank you for spending time uh, with me, and I hope you enjoyed the show. If you missed any of it, You know, I always encourage you to check out the podcast. Many people go there directly. So thank you for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.